Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. So we're continuing our series this morning uh, on obedience. Who was here last Sunday to hear Carol Chinpoi's testimony? Right, so a few of you, a few of you weren't here. So Carol Chinpoi, she pastors along with her husband Garth at City Church uh, in Christchurch. It was a pretty out there testimony. I've never felt more white middle class than I did listening to Carol's testimony. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, then go have a listen to it on the podcast because it had the full gambit of like everything. It had drugs, it had alcohol, it had gang, it had all sorts of stuff going on. And I was sitting there listening to it going, man, God, you're amazing. You're able to take someone that was that lost uh, and bring them into a place where they're now leading a church and Carol's awesome and they're good friends of ours. But my testimony is very different. I was like, man, my testimony is I was born into a Christian family, went to church all my life, and now I'm a pastor. That's, that's my testimony. And if you think, oh, Josh, come on, man, you must have had some juicy stuff in there. Not really. I mean, I was thinking about it during the week when I was seven I snuck out with a friend of mine to the backyard called Reese, and we rolled up some newspaper and lit the other end of it and tried to smoke it like a cigar. <laughs> Have you ever just inhaled straight smoke? It was the most feral experience. I coughed my lungs out. And so ever since, I haven't even, even considered touching a cigarette my entire life because I'm still so scarred by that. In my entire life, I think I have drunk the equivalent of one glass of beer in my whole life. And it's not because I have any issues with alcohol, it's just I don't like the taste. And, but every now and again, I'll hang out with friends, usually Christian friends, and they'll be like, oh, you'll like this, it's a, it's a pilsner, you'll like a pilsner, and I'll, oh, and then, no, you know, so all the different times I've sampled probably adds up to one, I remember hanging out with one Christian mate of mine, and he's like, here, he said, have some of my rum and coke. I said, I don't want any of your rum and coke. He said, you can't even taste the rum. I said, wait a minute. You're telling me that I can order a Coke for like $2, or I can order a rum and Coke for $9, and it tastes exactly the same. So you're an idiot. Right, so I I just just don't have an overly exciting story. I was playing golf with Jared last weekend, and we got to the ninth hole, and there were a couple of guys sitting under the tree having a wee smoke. And as we teed off, I said to Jared, it smells nice. He said, said, dude, it's marijuana. I was like, is it? You know? No, I wasn't. So I just, you know, <laughs> not an overly... My, my testimony is so boring that if it were on Netflix, my kids would get five minutes through it and be like, ugh, let's watch something else, right? But Carol's is, is awesome, and we had Garth, her husband, in last year, and someone said to me on Sunday, they said, oh, what's, what's Garth's story? And I said, it's pretty much the same as Carol's, minus the stripping. So... <laughs> Like, go, go back and listen to it, right? Because it's a, it's a cool story. Anyway, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about obedience this morning. So uh, the week before Carol spoke, I talked on obedience. And who can remember, I talked about the two different mindsets that we can adopt when it comes to obeying God. And I talked about how very often you can tell what your mindset is by how you act. Right? I think we all understand that concept that ultimately it's what we believe about life, it's what we believe about the world, it's what we believe about people that dictates how we show up in this world. Right? If we think people are trustworthy, then we trust people. If we have this core conviction that people can't be trusted, then we don't. So you can easily work out what your convictions are, what your beliefs are based on how you live. 
And so I preached out of Mark chapter 2. Remember I told the story about the four friends that carted their paralyzed pal up onto a roof, cut a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down. And the question was, what did they believe about Jesus to make them act like that? And we all kind of recognized, well, they obviously believed that Jesus could heal their friend. Because you don't risk looking that foolish. You don't go to that extreme. And there's no other story in the Bible like it. Like for all of the people that needed healing, there's no other story where somebody climbed up onto a roof and cut a hole in it and lowered their friend down. These guys are like up here when it comes to what they did, the drasticness of their action. They believed that if we could just give Jesus an opportunity to move, he'll move. It's written all over the way that they acted. And then I said, but if we jump forward to Mark chapter 6, when Jesus goes back to his hometown where he was brought up, and he gets up and he starts speaking in the synagogue, the church, and everyone's like, wow, this guy's amazing. This guy's, wait a minute, we know who this guy is. We, they recognize, they said, this is, this is Jesus. Yeah, 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 he used to play with my son. I remember I caught him picking his nose one day. Like, you know, they, they saw him grow up. They said, we know your dad, we know your mum, we know your brothers, your sisters are right here. And the, the, the way the Bible puts it in the NIV, it says in Mark chapter 6, it says, they took offense at him. And he couldn't do any miracles in that place, not because all of a sudden he had no power, but literally because no one put their hand up and said, hey, pray for me. No one was prepared to give him a shot. They wrote him off before they even tried. And the question there was, well, what did they believe about Jesus to make them act the way that they acted? And we all go, well, they obviously believed the opposite, right? They believed that Jesus couldn't heal. They believed that Jesus wouldn't heal. They couldn't. In fairness to them, I can kind of get where they're coming from. Like if you'd seen somebody grow up and then he popped back a little while later and said, hey, guess what? I'm God. You'd be like, mm, uh, you know, I was there when your mum was changing your nappies. I, I'm finding it really hard to believe that you're God. And we all kind of suffer from that sort of familiarity issue. Like if somebody that I don't know, like when we have Joseph and Leslie come in on Monday night, the 22nd, who none of you know, and they say, hey, someone here has got an issue and, and needs prayer, I guarantee you'll find it easier to believe that they will heal you through God, you know, you hear what I'm saying, than if your brother or your sister or your mum said, oh, I'll pray for you. Like, we just, we just find it harder to believe if it's people that we know that we've done life with, right? And so I kind of talked about, well, I was looking at these two examples and, and the truth that is what I believe comes out through how I act, and I was asking myself this question, well, based on how I act, what do I believe? If I were there when Jesus was in town, would I have cut a hole in somebody's roof and lowered my friend down because I knew that I knew that I knew that if I just gave Jesus the opportunity, he'd move? Or am I actually more like the other guys that were like, ah, I'm a bit familiar with this guy. I've been in church week after week after week after week. Kind of feel like I know him. And as uncomfortable as it is, being real, I think often I lean towards the latter. And then I started asking the question, well, what do we as a church kind of believe? If, if, if we were to look at how we act as a church, if someone came in and we've got some guests here this morning and they had to work out, well, what does this church believe about Jesus and his ability to heal and do miracles and set people free and deliver people? What would they think we believe based on how we act? That's an uncomfortable question. I took over this church in May 2019. 
in July, about six weeks after I took over the church, I watched a YouTube video clip from a man called John Wimber, who we heard a couple of weeks ago, just very briefly. And I was so struck by what he had to say that I took this video that was an hour and a half long or so, and I cut a 15-minute clip out of it. And I said to myself, I'm going to play that in church because that, there's something on that video clip for us as a church. And every time I thought about doing it or kind of planned to do it, God said, not yet. Not yet. But I'm going to play it this morning because I feel like God is saying, hey, now is the right time. And it's something that I've never done before. I've never played like a 15-minute video clip, but I promise you it's very entertaining and it doesn't feel like 15 minutes. John Wimber, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, got saved in a church that didn't believe that God healed today, didn't believe that God did miracles. So he had kind of like this weird clash of cultures because he was reading his Bible going, well, there's all this stuff happening in the Bible. Then he'd turn up to church and go, well, where is it? It's not happening. Got frustrated. Well, fast forward a few years, he ends up becoming a pastor. But he's a pastor now that is entrenched with this idea that healings don't happen today. That if you talk to anyone that says, oh, I got prayed for for this or this happened, he's like, that's a bit weird. That's out there. That's like new agey. So he's pastoring a church that doesn't believe in healing, that's filled with people that don't believe in healing. And then God says to him, hey, buddy, I want you to start praying for people to get healed. And so this 15-minute clip, he just talks about what happened in his church. Now, I want to get Denise just to jump up because I was a little bit apprehensive about playing a 15-minute video clip. I was like, oh, what if people think that I just took the week off and couldn't be bothered putting a message together? I was like, no, this is actually a real thing that I feel like God wants us to do. And so I was just saying to God this morning, hey, it's like a little bit of confirmation that we're on the right track would be, would be awesome. And so Denise, I just want Denise to, in the prayer meeting, she just shared a picture that she had in church and I want her to share it so that then when the video plays, you'll, you'll see the connection. All right, so just tell us very quickly what you saw in church. Um, so pre-prep, um, when the guys were worshipping, um, the whole picture, I saw it in different parts, but the whole picture was I saw God's hand holding a, a honeycomb, um, and it was dripping off his hand. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, it's something that I've taken from the promised land. And he held it over the church, so it was in the roof here. And then um, they started to form columns of honey dripping down. I said, what's all that about, Lord? And he says, um, this is for healing and for um, nurturing. And I saw as um, it was coming down, it was landing on people. And those people who were tired and weary, which was really interesting because um, Dee brought that up at the pre-meeting, um, I saw the honey wrap around them. And it just brought this this whole feeling of just being covered and being ready to be soaked into. And the healing, um, people who needed healing, I saw it dropping into their mouths and soaking into their skin. Um, and so I just, that's, I just put it, I shared all right, so I want, you, I want you to park that. Okay, so Denise has had no idea that I was playing a video this morning and has no idea what the video is, but the picture she saw was of a honeycomb with honey dripping down and the honey represented healing. I had Julie come up to me just uh, at the end of worship and say, hey, when you were praying for people and praying for energy and revival and stuff, she said, I felt like I saw God with a huge bucket and he tipped the bucket out and all of this liquid gold came tipping out of the bucket and washing over people, all right? So now we've got two pictures this morning, one of liquid gold washing over people, one of a honeycomb with honey dripping down. Now, when it gets to the very end of the video, you will go, aha, light bulb, when he starts talking about what he sees right at the end. But there's three things that I want you to literally test. 
I want you to try and log this away during the video. There's three questions I'll ask at the end. The first question I'll ask is, how did John's church respond when they started going after healing? So in it, he'll talk about what happens. Just log that away. How did the church respond? Second question I'll ask is, and you've got to be paying attention because he glosses over it pretty quick. But the second question I'll ask is, how long did they pray for people before they saw their first person healed? I want you to listen out for it. And then the third question, and again, it's one very brief statement that he moves on, but you'll pick it up. How many people did he say that he thinks they prayed for before they saw their first healing? Right, so how long did they go for it? How many people did they pray for? And how did the church respond? You guys ready for it? This has been sitting on my laptop for two and a half years. I'm quite excited about this. I had no idea what I'm going to say at the end when I get up, but we'll... We'll see what happens. You ready, Caitlin? All right, let's hit it. We hadn't been, I hadn't been pastoring very long until God began speaking to me about healing. I was teaching through the Gospel of Luke, and after the third chapter of Luke, if you don't believe in healing, you might as well quit, at least for the next few chapters. But over the next few weeks, I began teaching seriously for the first time the subject of healing. Now, the problem with teaching something is that the people don't know you don't believe it. And they begin believing it before you do. And after a few weeks, they didn't want to talk about it anymore. They wanted to start getting healed. And they would begin asking me, when are we going to pray for somebody? I said, oh, no, 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 it's enough just to believe it. <laughs> they said, no, we want you to pray for us. Well, about the fourth or fifth week, God speaks to me, says, have an altar call. We're going to pray for the sick tonight, or heal the sick, is what he said. An altar call to heal the sick. I did not want to do that. But God told me to. And so I called the people forward that day and we prayed for them and nobody got well. In fact, some of us got sick praying for the sick. We caught their flus, we got their colds, we went home with their headaches. It was awful. Our prayers would come out of our mouths and dribble down over our chins and just hang there. It was the most humiliating experience of my life. And I went home to saying to the Lord, I'm never going to do that again. Well, the very next Sunday, he made me do it both Sunday morning and Sunday night. And every week thereafter. After about eight or nine weeks of praying for the sick and nobody getting well, I was fit to be tied. I was yelling. I was angry. I, was, I did all the things I do when I'm frustrated and hurting. And I was yelling at God for the first time in my life. And I was saying, this isn't right. This is dumb. This is dumb what you're doing here. People are leaving the church. Don't you want people to come to this church? You told me it was your church. Now what's the deal here? People, and over half the congregation left. In about nine, they got tired. They said, oh, we don't believe this stuff. And slammed their Bible shut and left. They said, we're not going to get involved in this silliness. You know? I didn't realize there was such hostility over the subject of healing. I didn't realize. I started getting letters, long letters from angry people. You know, you're preaching heresy. You believe that God can heal? I said, I thought I was teaching the stuff out of the book. You know, it's, the, it's in the book. It's, I read it right here out of the book. <laughs> but I didn't believe it either. Several weeks went by, and God began dealing with me one day. Well, what had happened was I was studying, getting ready for Sunday, and I closed the Bible and said, I'm not going to do that. And God says, either do it or get out. I said, out? 
out, Lord? Out of the ministry? Out of the kingdom? <laughs> you know, out? What, what do you mean out, you know? He says, do not preach your experience. Preach my word. I said, wait a minute. That's been reversed on me all my life. People have said that. But now you're saying preach something that we're not experiencing. He said, right. I said, this is weird. This is really weird. I don't want to do this, but I don't want to get out either. <laughs> so I preached. Well, that Sunday was the worst of all. I mean, we had a lady that was demonized. We didn't know what demonized people were. We had this demonized lady come up and practically try to undress in front of everybody. I mean, it was embarrassing, humiliating. We're trying to hide her, you know. We're <laughs> it's all, you know, weird stuff. You know, I thought, I'm going to leave this church too, you know. All the time, God's, he's at every meeting. I mean, his presence, a lovely presence is with us. But we didn't know that the presence and the power were the same thing. We'd not been taught that. God hadn't spoken to us. And so the presence would come and we'd all cry and worship the Lord. And it was more like this in those days. And, you know, <laughs> more like that in those days. But, I mean, we were worshiping. We were having a wonderful time. For us, it was total abandonment, you know. We were having a great time at that point. And we would just worship the Lord, and His presence would come, and people would weep, and people would convert it. I mean, from the first day, people have been converted in our ministry. You know something? I've only preached a, uh, the charisma, the, uh, the gospel message, about four times in seven years. And so, I, you know, I'm definitely not focused, in, from a pulpit standpoint, on the unsaved. But you know, we've baptized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new converts. I'm not even sure how many I would guess at least 3,000 over the last seven years. So God has been saving people in our midst from day one. But not because we were focused on that, but because we were focused on Him. And as we would come into His presence and worship Him, and gather and collect, and just give ourselves over to worship, He would just come and, and rest on us. We could feel His presence. I mean, the air would thicken up. We could feel His presence in the room. God was with us. We knew it. But we didn't know that the presence and the power were the same thing. And so we would pray, and we'd pray these pitiful prayers. Oh God, if you're up there anywhere, if you've ever done anything anytime, here's a worthy subject. You know, you ever prayed a prayer like that? You have too. You've prayed prayers just like that. You're just like me. That's what you're like. And I didn't know how to pray either. One time I was praying one of those kind of prayers. You know, God says, what are you doing? I said, I'm fixing to get this guy well. He says, no, you're not. I said, I thought so. <laughs> I said, what's the problem? He says, well, the way you're praying. I said, what do you mean? I mean, I had done everything, man. I'd, I'd claimed it. I'd named it. I, had, I, you know, I would have done anything in those early... I, I explored every theology I had ever heard of. You know? I mean, after you failed 500 times, wouldn't you? And we had failed at least that many times. And I, I was going to—I was going to do anything, you know. Those, I read every book I could get my hands on on anybody that ever had any success on healing anyone. 
And so we were ready to try anything. He said, he said, well, the way you're praying. And I said, well, what's wrong? He says, why don't you pray like we did? I said, like you did? He said, we, us guys. I said, well, how did they pray? You know, I'd never studied that in my whole Christian experience. And I went home that night and uh, got out of the Gospels and just went through and read all the prayers of Jesus. They're really short. C. Rise, pick up your bed, and walk. That's a hot one, isn't it? Here's my favorite. Come forth. Don't you think he did that? Huh? I mean, that separates the men from the boys. Come forth. That's a hot prayer. Now, you're going to look pretty stupid if he doesn't come forth. But, I mean, if he does, you know, you're going to look good. You're going to put your picture in a paper and everything. <laughs> and after all, that's what it's all about. Isn't it looking good? Well, in any case, <laughs> then I went home. I mean, after that, I tried to, to adapt all those prayers. Now, it's, it's strange trying to pray the prayers of the New Testament. Well, that's a whole other subject. We'll get into it later. Suffice it to say that in the early development of the healing ministry here, it was very difficult. We went for nearly a year before we saw the first person healed. The occasion of the first person being healed occurred the, immediately the night after one of our greatest defeats. Having prayed for somebody for nearly two hours that did not get well, I was in utter despair. I threw myself headlong on the floor. I'm, I've never been subject to those emotional displays. I threw myself on the floor and just sobbed, and I hit the floor, and I said, Oh, God, it's not fair. You tell us to teach what your book says, and you don't back up your act. Here we are. We're doing the best we can do. It's not fair, God. It's not fair. You tell us to believe it. You, you write it down. You keep it for all of these centuries. I read it. I tell the people that this is what you said. I even say that this is what you said you'd do with what you said. And now you're not doing what you said you'd do if I did my part. It's not fair. You know that one? <laughs> you do know that one, don't you? Oh, I was brokenhearted. Cried, cried. After a little while, I became sort of conscious, and I looked around, and all my friends were laying there with me. We had all just been broken up over this experience. One of my best friends named Jim, he's a big old guy, and he was super humiliated. And we were up on a stage. It was in a, in a high school auditorium at that time. We were up on a stage behind this curtain, and when he left, oh, Jim walks out, you know, and he steps out through the, the curtain and looks back and says, I'm never going behind that damn curtain again. <laughs> And he's upset. He gets home. <laughs> he gets, <laughs> this is funny. He gets home and God gives him a verse. You know how a verse will pop into your mind? And so he goes in and opens up the Bible and looks and it says, The Lord dwelleth behind the curtain. <laughs> Jim is so repentant. He goes out into his backyard and, and sets down in a chicken coop and throws dirt on his head. <laughs> God bless him. That man knows how to repent. <laughs> well, 
our worst defeat that night. I go home, I go to bed, I wake up the next morning, the phone's ringing, I go to the phone, and here's a new family in the church, and the guy's on the phone, he says, listen, I got a new job, I, 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 I've got to go to work today, this is my, I've got a brand new job, it's just starting today, my wife's sick with a fever, can you come over and pray for her so she'll get well so she can take care of the kids, so I can go to my new job, I think, I, I put my hand on, you've really got me into it this time. <laughs> Look what this guy believes this stuff. He's gonna lose his job. I'll be right there. In my best professional tone. Hang up. I get in the car and all the way over there I'm I'm talking to God. I'm saying, This this it's still not right, you know. This is not right, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's not right, it's a mess. So I get there and I knock at the door, and a guy comes to the door, leads me in the house, and I mean he I thought she would be out in the living room in her house. He takes me right straight back into their bedroom. I mean, this woman was sick. No woman would let you see her looking like that. I mean, this woman was sick. You know, sick. Sick, sick. I mean, she was sick. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, she's sick. Not good. Not good, you know. This is not good. This is not going to make me look good. This woman is sick, you know. She had a high fever, face was all flushed, you know. And I walked over and I mumbled some terrible, I don't mean what, I don't know what I said. I, and, I, and I turned around and I began explaining to the guy why people don't always get well when you pray for them. I did. I, I began explaining to him why they don't always get well when you pray for them. And, and he's looking at me, but he's a little bit taller than I am, and he's looking over my shoulder, and he's grinning. And I suddenly realize he's not looking at me, he's looking over my shoulder. And I turn around, and there's his wife, she's up, she's got her house coat on, she's already brushed her hair, and she's making the bed. And I said, what happened to you? <laughs> and she says, I'm well, you healed me. I said, oh no, I can't heal anybody. <laughs> And she said, well, you healed me. I'm feeling fine. You know, would you like to stay for some coffee or something? You know, I said, no, I think I'll just go. <laughs> and so there I went out the door. And I get out the front lawn. And I look up and I go, all right. You know, we got one. Woo! I was so incredibly excited. Oh, I got in the car, and I'm driving along, and I had a vision. It was the first one I'd ever had. And, I mean, really clear graphic. And I'm driving along, and, and it's a beautiful morning. And, well, of course, it would be. And I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, over the landscape, superimposed over it, a... As far as I can see. It's what looks like a cloud bank, and it's going all the way across the, the, the sky. And I look at it, and I realize it's not a cloud bank, it's a honeycomb. You ever seen a honeycomb when it comes? Yeah. All right, it's dripping. And below the, the, the cloud bank, the honeycomb, are people. And they're in all kinds of different postures. Some of them are very reverent. They're, they're weeping. They've got their hands out and they're catching this honey. And some of them are sharing it with their friends. And other people are coming and dipping their finger in other people's honey. And, and other people are really irritated. <laughs> you know, trying to get out of this honey. And they don't like it. 
And, and I'm looking at this thing, you know, and I'm, and I, I'm so excited. I pull over to the side of the road and I'm sitting there looking at it. And I said, God, what is it? What is it? And he said, John, that's my mercy. He says, for some people, it's a blessing. And for some people, it's not. He said, John, don't ever beg me for healing again. Look at it. It's, there's plenty for everyone. John, the problem isn't on my end. The problem is down there where you are. That was one of the most profound and moving experiences I've ever had. And I've never looked at healing the same way again. I've never gone into the, the sick and dying's room in the hospital. I've never looked at a child that was in, in desperate condition. I've watched my friends die and prayed for them. But I've never, ever known the desperation of soul that I knew before that moment. Because I know the problem isn't on his end. Our God has, has sent mercy in the Son. He sent his word to heal them. Jesus has come. He brought a message of love from the Father. Healing is here. The problem is appropriating it. Getting blessed in it. Receiving it. All right. He's a good watch, John Wimber, isn't he? Right? Who can remember the three questions? First question, how did his uh, church respond? What did he say? Half of them left. Don't do that. <laughs> Got angry letters as well. We don't send angry letters anymore. We send angry emails. But don't do that. Uh, what about how many people did he say that they prayed for? He said at least 500, at least 500 people they prayed for before they got their first healing. And how long did it take? Yeah, he said about a year. That's a long time. You know, I don't want to speak on behalf of too many other church leaders, but I think a lot of the reason that, that pastors and church leaders and churches don't go after healing is because it's just for those reasons. There's, there's so many questions that come up. Why? Why would you have to pray that long for that many people before that? And then when the person did get healed, even John said he can't remember what he prayed. It was just some lame, no faith, no expectation, something dribbled out of his mouth. He's trying to explain why healing doesn't work. And she's healed. Like, there's just so many questions. Do you know, John Wimber, I love watching that video because that's kind of him in his prime. He just looks like a giant teddy bear. I think, man, that guy would be a great guy to hang out with. But you can watch other videos of him on YouTube. He's this emaciated, almost corpse-like guy because he got ravaged with sickness and illness and cancer uh, to the point where he had to, you can watch him on video trying to speak and, and just spraying stuff into his mouth because he lost the ability to generate saliva. And so he had to, he had to, he called it pig spit. He had to spray it into his mouth. And then eventually his cancer got worse and worse and worse until one day he fell down at home, banged his head, had a brain hemorrhage and died. How is that? How does that make sense? Now I think the problem is if you go after this healing thing, you have, you have to be okay with huge amounts of what you're experiencing just not making sense. And people don't like going to a church where there's just lots of stuff that doesn't make sense all the time and church leaders go, well, that's just too hard to go there. I love that Denise saw a honeycomb with honey dripping down here this morning. You said it was around about here is where you first saw it? Like, to me, 
having sat on that video for two and a half years and waited until I felt like it was the right time, and then for Denise to see that picture here in this building this morning, I, I think that God's saying, hey, if you guys want to go after this, you can go after it. But if we go after it, and I don't yet know what that looks like, this is more of a, um, I'm looking ahead to, to next year. Because we've only got a few Sundays left this year and the Christmas holidays and things like that. But I want to put it on your radar that I'm watching the stuff, I'm reading these books, I'm listening to these podcasts, and I'm going, hmm, I wonder if God's actually asking us to be a brave church filled with mature Christians who can handle praying for people that don't get healed over and over and over again. Are we, are we that brave? You don't have to answer right now. It's a big question. Like, I've been mulling this over for ages. I've been asking God, well, God, what, you know, what does that look like? Does that look like we've got to get somebody up? Like, every Sunday we do, like, a call for healing. Maybe it does. Maybe it looks like at the end of every service we say, hey, who's sick? Come up the front and we'll pray for you. And we do it every Sunday over and over and over and over again. And we just have to... What, do you know what my favorite part about that video is? Is how he says that he was so upset he was on the floor... He was crying, and then he, he looked up, and all of his friends were on the floor with him. I reckon I'd be game to go after it if I knew that I could look up and see all my friends on the floor with me. But if it's just me, I don't want to do it. <laughs> right, so I want you to have a think about this. I, I think, and I was just talking with God about it this morning, um, maybe I'll speak on it before the end of the year, but... I think that the world is ready and is so ready to see a God that's real. I think the world is sick of hearing Christians talk about God. I want to see his power. That's right. And God moves through us. I was just talking with God about it this morning, and he reminded me of that story. I'll finish with this. Uh, at Mount Carmel with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And the story goes, you know, that, that God said to Elijah, hey, build an altar and get all the prophets of Baal, which are the false prophets. So Israel, were they were, they were offering all these sacrifices to a God that wasn't real. And so Elijah came in and he kind of, it's this awesome story where they just had this like God off, like this battle between let's see whose God's real. And the prophets of Baal they, they spent all day, they built this altar, and the, the deal was, hey, whichever God's real, he'll send fire down and burn up the, the sacrifice. And So they made their sacrifice, and they just sat there all day, and they danced around, and they did their songs, and they cut themselves, and they did all the stuff that they did, and nothing happened. And then Elijah built his sacrifice and called on God, and the fire came down. And, and I was just struck by the way the Israelites responded. When the fire hit the altar, the Israelites said, that's God. He's the real God. That's the real God. And I think that in, in this season, you know, where we're at at the moment, the world is desperate to see the real God. They want to be able to say that's the real, the real thing. But it's, it's not the sort of thing that you can just go, oh, yeah, well, let's just pray for healing on Sunday and we'll just see lots of miracles happen. Like, the, that is a very consistent theme I was talking with Denise before, whether you're talking about someone like Randy Clark, whether you're talking about someone like Todd White. How many people did Randy Clark reckon he prayed for before he saw his first healing? 800. Todd White reckons it was over 1,000 people that he prayed for before he saw his first healings. What on earth is that about? I don't know. You know maybe God's wanting to do something in us along the journey. If we go after this, 
it will mean a lot of people not getting healed and us having to go, that's okay. We'll get up and we'll try again next Sunday. And it will be tiring and frustrating and hard, but I think it's what God's asking us to do. And we're in this series on obedience, which isn't like obey, obey, obey if it's convenient, obey if you feel like it. I love the statement he made, don't preach your experience, preach my word. My experience is that the vast majority of people I pray for don't get healed. That's my experience. So we can either camp there and just, like he said, just avoid all the parts of the Bible that say you should pray for people and they do get healed and just try and do church without that stuff. Or we have to go, look, that's part of it. Let's go for it. Okay? What should we do now? Because I don't want to kind of end it there. Yes, Stephen? Yeah, it's a good question. Yep, talking about physical healing, but there's all types of healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. Like, you know, that that word salvation, where it says that Jesus came to die on a cross and save us, it's the word sozo, which just means like to make whole. So if you've got an emotional need, then it's that healing. It's not just physical healing. Gene. Yeah, I mean, what, what we're going for is for God's, God's will to be done in someone's life. And so that's when you get into theology, right? Like, is it, is it ever God's will for someone to be sick? Mm. Right? It's a battle. Yeah, it is a battle. It's, it's, it'll, be a, it'll be a fight. I'll tell you what the devil doesn't want is he doesn't want a whole bunch of Christians that can move powerfully and, and healing and miracles. Right? Any other questions? <laughs> other thoughts? Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Jean. You got one, Kerry? Yes, he wants us to do it together. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I, totally. I think we've got to do it together. We've got to do it with unity. Um, and look, you might be sitting here going, mm, I'm not sure about this. That's okay. You can come and talk to me and say, hey, I've just got some questions because it doesn't sound like you've overly thought this through. And I would say, no, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't overly thought it through. But I think that's good because if I think it through too much, I'll be like, nah, no, 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 no. Let's just, just, just enough for God to be like, hey, this is something I'm calling you. I saw a hand over here. Well, that's, yeah, great question. There's only two ends, right? There's our end and there's God's end. And then I guess there's a, there's a middle part as well. Right? There's that story in Daniel where Daniel was praying and fasting and then the angel came after 21 days and said, hey, the minute you started praying, I left. I got held up. They had to do this big battle with, with another angel. So there's this middle ground as well. But that's one of the questions that we all ask. Like, I've said it many times. Man, if you, were the sort, if you had the answer to like why you could pray for someone and they don't get healed, then you could just write your own blank checks because everybody wants to know the answer to that question but uh, yeah it, it comes down to a theological position does God want this person healed or 
do you create a space in your mind or an excuse in your mind where you go, well, sometimes God uses sickness to teach people a lesson. So, but then you start praying for someone and can you ever pray with a conviction that God wants them healed if you've got this, this thought in the back of your head? I don't know. And that's where cessationalism comes in. And you have you know, the cessationist theology where essentially what they have done is they have gone, okay, I'm going to elevate my experience over the word of God. So our experience is this doesn't work, so we will interpret our theology through our experience, and then we will work around what the Bible says, whereas what I'm saying is, well, we need to preach what the Bible says, and then if our experience doesn't line up, go, okay, well, let's just keep going until the experience does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for some reason, and I don't understand why, but for some reason God has decided he wants to move through us, right? Like if there's a sick person here, God could just heal that person, but he wants to co-labor with us, you know? And so yeah, that's, that's a big first step. And that's what I'm talking about, like that mindset, like let's just start by giving him the opportunity, right? Let's just start by praying for people, give him the opportunity to move, and then we'll go on to the next step, which is like John talked about, like, okay, God started talking to him about how to pray, why don't you change the way that you're praying? We can go on that journey together. But we've just got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and God, yeah, if, if, God's, yeah, if God's in it with us, which I'm inclined to think he is, like we're not talking about anything overly dramatic here, right? I'm just standing at the front saying, hey, what if we start praying for people to get healed? Right, I think God's, God's all good with it. But I'm just, I want to be really clear from the start that every story that I've heard is very similar to that, which is that it takes a long time and it requires maturity. Is that cool? Are you willing to give it a go? All right, Denise is willing to give it a go. Do you want to give it a go right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. All right, I'm going to hand the mini over to Denise. <laughs> I have no idea. If people want healing, uh, if, you're, if you're sick, you've got people, maybe you've got friends or family who are sick, come on up and let's, um, let's just give it a go and see where God's going to go with us. You, you happy for that? I'm nervous. I'm like, I'm not quite sure how it's all going to work out, but... This is it. This is what it's all about. Is uh, I feel like the Lord's telling us at this time, you know, it is time to step out. It's time to be bold and to go after things, even if we don't understand it, because this is how He starts to show up, right? Yeah. yeah. Cool.